This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome back, folks, to the Celtic Soul podcast with me, Andrew Millen. I hope you all enjoyed our little break and enjoyed the international game, but it's back to business now for Celtic. My guest on the show today was supposed to be my good pal Adrian Hilly-Hillman, but due to technical issues with the interview, we've decided to record it again at a later date. It is a huge honour for me to join Celtic, such a huge institution and a brilliant football club that I have always loved and admired. The words of Shane Duffy when he finally signed for Celtic after weeks of speculation he has said all the right things and he's a boy who knows the story and knows how important it will be to pull on the green and white hoops. He captained Ireland in absence of Seamus Coleman, chipped in with a late goal and more importantly for Celtic he got two full 90 minutes under his belt. I look forward to seeing Shane give us a night like he did for Ireland when he was brilliant in defence when we overcame the Italians at the Euros in Lille. Shane brings Premier League experience. He played against top strikers and also brings his international experience. He missed out on coming to Celtic in 2016 when Brendan Rodgers was manager and he was about to leave Blackburn. The deal didn't work out then, but thankfully it has now. He's only here for a year on loan, so let's get this season done and see if the clubs can agree a permanent deal if things work out on the pitch. There will be 300 Ross County fans inside the stadium in Dingwall on Saturday at 3pm. Hopefully this exercise is a success and we can build on getting fans back into the stadium. We wait with hope in our hearts to see Shane Duffy and the boys as soon as possible in the flesh in the stadium. So, how do I replace my good friend Hilly? Well, here's how I do it. I draft in John Hartson, Tommy Johnson and Scott McDonald. What a front lineup that would be. We've delved into our interviews with them and we've pulled out a few nuggets for you to enjoy. 
So kicking us off is Tommy Johnson, who spoke to us back in episode three. Tommy, six managers at the club. You know, they all bring different stuff. How hard was it for a player to have so many managers in, in such a short time? Well, it wasn't my decision, Andrew. <laughs> well, it might have been. You never know. Well, if, if, listen, I've made the biggest decision in my career to come up to Celtic. You know, and once you know Celtic, I'm in field, that's it. End up, you know, I was okay at Aston Villa. Been well documented, you know, I was enjoyed my time there with Brian Little. But when Celtic come in, and as I've mentioned previous, just before, speaking to Tommy Burns, no other place I'm going to go. You know, it was fantastic. And But then, after three, four weeks of signing, he leaves. You're like, you're in, you're in a bit of turmoil and you think, what have I done here? You know, yeah, I'm signing for Celtic, but I'm signing for Tommy Burns as well. So that was, oh, it was very, very disappointing. You know, Vim came in and cannot argue one iota what he'd done for the club, you know, apart from the first two games. But he just didn't fancy me as a player. You know, we have a laugh about it now, but at the time it was it was horrible. Not training, but, you know, getting injured getting involved and then then I'd done me knee so and then he left so uh, Joseph come in Joseph Bengloss but I was still injured I didn't I didn't get back until the, I think it was the February time so it's only a couple of games playing under Joseph and then he's gone John Barnes no comment whatsoever because I'm not allowed to swear on video <laughs> so we'll just leave it at that <laughs> Best player in the world, loved him as a player, but as a manager, say no more. Uh, John, but and so then Kenny took over with Tom Burns, which was revitalized me. You know, we won the cup, I scored, I was playing, enjoying it. Uh, it was class, and you know, half of me, more than half of me, wanted them to get the job full time. But then the gaffer came in, uh, Martin O'Neill, and you know, I undoubtedly my best season under the gaffer, winning the treble, scoring a goal against St. Mirren, all that. Uh, so for all the lows I had, Andrew, with, and you mentioned all the different managers I played under, my uh, I can only remember my time itself with fondness and happiness, especially with the last season of winning the treble. You know, and that's all people remember. Now they don't go back to all the injuries I had or all the managers I never played under, <laughs> should have played under. You know, uh, but it was just that last season and. It was fantastic. Uh, I think it was, I'm just reading the other day, I still speak to Martin all the time. I worked for him at Forest last year. And, you know, it's 20 years since he's signed, which is it's just gone like that. And it's frightening. So and it, like, it's 20 years next year since we won the treble. So time flies when you're having fun. And, and being a Celtic fan now, and being obviously being part of the family because I've played for them, which you always are when you play for them. And supporting Celtic now, oh my, it's absolutely dreamland, isn't it? It's absolutely oh. fantastic. You know, I was speaking to Lenny the other day. It's, uh, we can't, I bet I can't wait for the season to start again. You know, that's what they want, so we can go for 10 in a row. And oh my gosh, it'll be absolutely fantastic if they could do it again. Yeah, Tommy, before you came up, obviously I've been following the club since the late 80s. And when I started following them, they'd just done a double and then there was all those barren years. So to see a nine in a row and treble after treble, it's it's amazing. And to think back, people were calling for Lenny's head the first time around in Rugby Park. I think Kilmarnock were playing us off the park. And then I think Anthony Stokes and Forrest dig him out of jail, dig Lenny out of jail. And the mm-hmm. rest is history, nine titles later. Yeah. Well, obviously, everybody knows how you know, close I am to Lenny. We, uh, we used to room together. The uh, big Stubbsy left. So... Um, 
you know, I know, I know what he's like. And I've said last year when he come back in, you know, there was omens and omens about Neil coming back in to take over from Brendan Rodgers. But I think Peter Lowell and Dermot Desmond absolutely pulled him off the stroke, you know, and I've said that from day one because he knew the club, he knew the players, he knew the history of the club, he knew what he had to do, you know, and he was just ticking over and he couldn't really stamp his authority on that season because it was, I think it was February time. So we only had a couple of months to just get the lads over the line. And then last, the start of last season, he could implement his style of play, what he wanted from the players and all that. And they've, they've been brilliant, you know. I think the only blip was, you know, the last Rangers game, just was it before the winter break. But they're going to have blips, of course they are, you know. But uh, since the break, they've been absolutely fantastic. You know, and I think that everybody's just gutted that they couldn't celebrate winning nine in a row on the pitch because that's what they'd want in front of their own fans. But no matter what, no matter what anybody says, there's no blip on this title at, at all because they thoroughly deserved it. And then that's far in front of Rangers, you know what I mean? There was no chance Rangers catching them. So I think he'd be setting himself up now to get back into training, getting himself ready for hopefully an August start and the season to commence again. And uh, fingers crossed, touch wood, it'll be a season to remember. Yeah, hopefully we get back as fans as well to enjoy maybe later on in the year because it doesn't look like we're going to get back at the start. Just when you speak about Martindale and you call him the gaffer, it seems to be every time I speak to a player that played under Martin, he's the gaffer. The respect is, is, it's not is, just is unbelievable. Massive, Andrew. But I'm the same with anyone who I played under. You know, Tommy Burns, Joseph, a lot of them I'd call, I still call all my ex-gaffers gaffer because they were and still are in my head, you know what I mean? But uh, it's just probably just a respect thing that we've got. It's players that you always call the ex-managers gaffer. There's some I probably wouldn't call gaffer, but uh, yes, definitely with Martin. See, I, I, I feel a bit nervous calling them Martin. It's gaffer to me, you know? It's uh, it's just a respect thing and, you know, it, it'll always stay with us. I think sometimes as well, um, players and fans based in England, they seem to look north and go, ah, oh, you know, the league is not great or the teams are not great. But when you look back at your time there, the competition for starting places up front was unbelievable. Like Gadetti, Henrik, Bradback, Faduka, Sutton, serious talent. I said before I was doing a pre, uh, just before I come on here, I was doing another podcast and it says, can you name like your favourite 11 and all that? And then you're looking up front and you and you just mentioned, you just reel the names off. You know, Mark Viduga, God, what a player from Zagreb, you know. Like, you're fortunate in the first place to be playing against him. And that's how we got him, you know, through the European qualifiers. And you said, then we've signed Harold. And then you've got Simon Donnelly, who could play up front. And obviously the master, Henrik, Chris Sutton, absolutely frightening. Uh, Mark Bircher was coming through at the time and banging goals in left, right and centre. So, and then uh, obviously very, very difficult to get him to be a consistent part of the starting eleven, but you know when I first came I knew what I was signing up for and the gaffer I think obviously Tommy had signed me to, to be one of his main strikers unfortunately over the probably the couple of years I've, as I mentioned before managers not wanting to play me and all that but uh, and the injuries but as I said it worked out all, all right in the end Henrik and Sutty would be your first choice pair and centre forward in 99% of teams I know so there's no problems or no qualms about being on the bench and then coming on to replace them. Fortunately for me and unfortunately for Sutton, he had quite a few a few injuries during the first season. So I played a lot more games. And as I said, it culminated with a, 
doing and uh, the goal and the game and then winning the treble and all that. So as I've said before, the, uh, the time I had, the, the, the good times definitely outweigh the bad times I had. Yeah, and as a fan, the, the treble was, I suppose I was at an age as well where I hadn't seen success like that. It was just brilliant. Mm-hmm. And then you moved on, Tommy, then. How hard is it, Tommy, when, when you're leaving a successful team like that and you're leaving your teammates? And as you say, you become a fan as well and you, you have a, a love for the club. Yeah, uh, definitely. I was 29, I think, and then we contract 29, 30. And I just got to the stage, Andrew, where I wanted to play regular. You know, it, uh, I'd been there four and a half years and I mentioned the years and not playing regular. And, uh, and you know, the gaffer offered me a new contract. You know, we sat down after the, we'd won the, the Scottish Cup. I think it was on the Monday or the Tuesday after it. And he was saying, I want you to stay. You know the score. He was always up front with us. You're not going to be first choice. And I knew that because uh, obviously you had Henrik and Sutty and uh, John Hartson was just about to sign as well. So you're looking at me being fourth choice at the time. So And it wasn't a stage of money and all that. You know, I could have signed a new contract and just sat there on my bum and done nothing. But uh, I just wanted to play regular. I was getting to that stage. You know, I was 30. And when you get to 30, you don't know how long you've got left in football. So it was a case of that of uh, just moving on but there was no qualms at all yes it's difficult you're leaving you know a great city in Glasgow your teammates that you've been with for four and a half five years you know the fans the stadium the the success that we had but it just in my head I just wanted to play football and and play regular football and, and that's why I left so no regrets no regrets no no it, I, as I said I could have stayed I'd, I'd had my time yeah, you know, it was uh, it was born off years of my life, which was absolutely, as I said, obviously had some downs, but as I've said, the good times definitely out with the, the bad times. But uh, no, it, it comes to us all when you've got to leave, you know, and it wasn't the case of the gaffer and his staff saying, right, thanks, Tommy, see you later. He did offer us a new contract, but just in my heart of hearts, I wanted to play more regular. Uh, and that's, that's Admiral. If you'd like to hear the full interview with Tommy Johnson, please rewind to episode three. In episode 10, I spoke to Scott McDonald from his home down under. Now, in the eyes of the Celtic fans, I suppose if, if life was a pantomime, you would have been you were the villain that became the hero. I still am to some people, probably. <laughs> probably a bit, yeah. But you came into the team and you you had been when you were signed by Celtic, you were suspended from getting sent off in I think the last game at Motherwell. And you come to Celtic, there's a lot of competition for starting place up front because Magic's there, Kenny Miller's there and Big Yan is there and you come in, you believed you were good enough to play and when you got your chance in Europe because it was a man you were familiar with, Gordon Strachan who brought you to Celtic but he had also released you from Southampton when you were younger. Yeah. So when you got your chance, you did take it with both feet. You had a good debut over in Moscow and then you scored in the in the return leg when we played Spartak and then obviously that went to the penalty shootout if memory serves me right. So yep. straight away then, you know, you've proved I'm here, I've scored, and then it's time then to secure your place in that first team. Yeah, I mean, that that was huge moments for me, like like you talk about. And going back to, to Gordon, obviously, I mean, yeah, he did release me from, from Southampton, which was, it was a really odd thing. And I think that's where a lot of my respect straight away for Gordon, even before I just came in when he signed me, was the fact that, takes a big man or a big manager to 
well, admit on one hand that maybe they got it wrong about a player. There's a lot of managers within the game, egotistically, that just wouldn't do that, Andrew. Um, even if you were on a hot streak or you were doing really well for, for someone else, they, they just turn a blind eye to you because they, they turned you down once and said you weren't good enough. But Gordon had enough about himself to watch me again and, and believe that I was ready now in his eyes, that I had changed a little bit, I had more humility and uh, was much more of a, a team player or you know, just, just much more mature as it comes with as you get a little bit older than what I was at Southampton. So that was a weird one when uh, I got that phone call from uh, from Gordon. I was waiting a couple of weeks for it. I got a phone call saying that Celtic were interested. Would I want to to come and play for Celtic? I was absolute hell yeah. Tell, tell him to call me and let's get this done. But um, he, he left me hanging for a wee while. He left me having, hanging for a couple of for a couple of weeks. And in the end, I was actually on an international uh, tour with uh, with Australia and China. We were sitting in Hong Kong and just remember looking, trying to look at my phone every two minutes, seeing if it was a phone call. I didn't even have his number, so I was like, you know, when's he going to call? Is he going to call? Finally, he called. I think it was like two or three in the morning in Hong Kong, and uh, it was one of those conversations. Do you have a problem working with me again uh, after me releasing you? And I was like, absolutely not. Uh, let's get going. So that for me broke a lot of the ice, and it was great. And I had a, I managed to have a really good preseason. We went to Switzerland. Uh, we went to to America as well to Denver to play the MLS All Stars and really impressed. Uh, in my time there, I came really hungry and and wanting to prove to people that I belonged at this level. So uh, and you know most importantly, the me the people that really mattered at that point wasn't the Celtic fans because we weren't playing real games at that point. And it was it was the coaching staff and it was the players around me and having the respect to them and seeing that I was a good player, uh, which I managed to do and uh, very early on, which was fantastic for me. And um, I think one person in particular said it the best, you know, and that was was Tommy Burns through, we were in Switzerland actually, and we were playing a possession game and we just stopped for a break and he put his arm around me and, and just said, uh, you're doing great, son. Remember this as well. We believe in you. You're a Celtic player and that's why you're here because you're good enough. So go and show us. And that for me, you know, coming from Tommy, who's Mr. Celtic at the time, you know, forever and a day, you're thinking, wow, well, if he's convinced, then uh, everyone else is going to be a a walk in the park then. (laughs) So so from that, um, I never looked back. And yeah, it was a frustrating time because I couldn't play the first couple of games because I stupidly got sent off at Motherwell um, before the end of the season. So that was... A, a difficult time where the likes of you thought Kenny Miller was still at the club. We weren't sure if he was going to be staying or going at that point. Big Jan Venegal was a stick on to play and, and Magic obviously was an excellent footballer and, and player and scored a lot of goals for Celtic probably the season before the one I came. So it, you're looking at it going, right, I need to do something special here. But again, the management believed in me. So that gave me huge confidence and, and that first game away to Moscow, setting up the the goal for, for Paul Hartley really settled the nerves and made you feel a part of it, Neil. It's going, right, well, people can see I'm contributing. This is the beginning. This is fantastic. But you still want that first goal. You're still waiting for it. Uh, we played Aberdeen away in one of the first games of the season. And I can still remember missing a chance in the first half of that that game, my first start in the in the Premiership 
and you're thinking, I get hooked after about 70 minutes, it's one each, and Kenny Miller comes on and scores a brace within that, scores a lovely second goal, I think, killed in the top corner. And I was delighted for the team, but I just knew my head was down going, oh, God, here we go. I'm, I'm back on the bench for a wee while. I'm going to have to work extra hard to get back in this team. Um, but look, it shows again that how much Gordon believed in me and, and, and the coaching staff that managed to start the next game against Spartak. I think there was a little bit of luck in that as well because I don't think Kenny Miller wanted to actually be cup-tied within Europe because there might have been an opportunity. I think it was even Italy, somewhere in Italy, because he'd done really well for Scotland against Italy. He scored the winner, didn't he, at Hamden? So I think there was a little interest from Italy at that point. He actually ended up going to Derby, but they were, he was concerned he didn't want to be cup-tied, European cup-tied. So that gave me the opportunity again and to score your first goal, being at Celtic Park on a European night. And then eventually qualifying to play in the Champions League, it was just what dreams are made of. And for me, I just gained so much confidence from that. And, and I never really looked back after that. It was such a, a golden season for me. And I think people are quick to obviously forget the circumstances. Well, not forget the circumstances, but for me, there were so many other players that were, were deemed better than me when I come in. And also that I was just going to be a, a squad player. But I certainly didn't see that when I came in. I, I was fortunate that I had this sort of mentality within me. And I think that's partially the reason why I was successful. Um, do I believe I was a good player? Yes. Do I, I wasn't the best player, especially then. I was probably a better player six, seven years on because you, you've got much more experience um, that you've gained. Uh, I was still quite raw when I turned up with Celtic. But I, I learned quickly that I had some fantastic players around me and... Uh, what I needed to do was get the ball to them if I ever had it and get in the danger area and score goals because the numbers mattered. When you play for Celtic as, as a centre-forward, you're always remembered on how many goals you've scored, not how many you've set up or how well you've played in that game. You've got to get the goals to be proven as a successful you know, Celtic striker. So it was, uh, it was a great time for me. And the goals did come. Rangers, AC Milan, Man United and... You scored over 60 goals for Celtic, 25 in the league in one season. I think it was 31 throughout the whole season. That has to be... Was that your finest season as a, as a player? Yeah, it was, without question. You know, um, Well, I, I never got to that level again in terms of uh, goals. So for me, it was, it was just like one of those seasons where we worked so hard you know, at the training ground as well with, with Gordon. Gordon was always very good for attacking-minded players, the, the way he set up, because he was a winger himself. So we, we played with two wingers and he liked the, the inverted one, which Naka was, and, and sort of Aiden played a little bit wider. Um, but we did a lot of work on the training ground, a lot of finishing and it just repetition, repetition. Training the, training the brain, as they say, and um, throughout that period, it was just... You didn't even think anymore. It was it was just a goal before you'd you'd even thought about touching the ball. Uh, that's how confident I was. It wasn't even like you were going into games thinking, "Oh, well, I'm going to score." It was more a case of, "Well, I know I'm going to score, but how many am I going to get?" You know, it got to that point, and I think that was also playing for a smaller club within the Premiership and being able to score goals um, for Motherwell. I always felt well. You know, if I'm scoring goals at Motherwell and, and doing very well, then there's no reason why I can't do even better at an even better club. Like, makes sense, yeah? And it sort of does, but it doesn't always work out that way for, you know, all strikers that come to Celtic. You have to have a, a really good mindset and a mentality and you have to understand 
sometimes that you have to simplify your game to get the results you want. You don't always need to do the difficult things. And I think I've worked that out pretty quickly with the likes of Aidan McGeady and Nakamura and my team. And obviously Big Yan, who had an amazing partnership with, you know, big man, small man, which always brought the best success for me in, in my game. Those players around me were, were going to give me so much uh, joy. And, and they really did. You know, Yan was a great forward to play off as well. Uh, the amount of goals even he created for me with flick-ons and whatever else. And he used to take all the knocks and the hits. You know, and Gordon certainly wouldn't let me forget that at times. Um, remember your partner because he's the guy that's taking all the shit for you to be successful. So Gordon was really good like that in, in terms of team morale and honesty within the group and, and make sure you appreciated one another for the for the dirty things that they did for you. And it was all about trust in that, in that team environment. It was, it was a huge thing. Uh, you only play for Gordon if he trusted you. And if you did the the dirty side of the game as well as all the good things. Um, so we had a really good unit. Yeah, you mentioned three players there, three standout players. Big Yan, obviously, great partnership before him up front. Uh, Aidan McGeady, very underrated, I think, in some people's minds. I thought Aidan was quality. And I thought uh, the amount of supply he gave in to yourself and Jan, uh, the amount of assists he had for goals, the stats are phenomenal. Yeah. And then, of course, you mentioned one of the most talented players I've ever seen in the Celtic jersey, which was Nakamura. Yeah, he was. he's the best player I've ever played with to this day. You know, technically gifted. The David Beckham of Japanese football has to be said as well. Boys, uh, this was a year before I got there, but boys were saying like uh, when they played Milan, AC Milan in the, in the group of or the last 16 of the Champions League year before, they were at the, the airport and there was actually a flight to Tokyo. And they said, I kid you not, like the whole flight of Tokyo were just surrounded Nakamura. Like he was just a god. That's how much he was thought of in, in Japan itself. But obviously a, a very much an unknown to everyone before he turned up to Celtic. A little bit like you could say what Lubo was for Celtic, you know, uh, very much an unknown. And all of a sudden you watch him play and you go, wow, uh, he's special. And the amount of times that Naka could get you out of trouble just with his set pieces in particular, was just phenomenal. But he worked on it day in, day out. He's one of the best professionals I've seen as well. You know, we talk about the big players and how they practice and they're constantly just all about their football and practice, 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 Ronaldo's Messi's. You know, Naka would be out there for hours on end, even after training. You know, he'd have his little interpreter in the goal and he'd be hitting free kick after free kick after free kick. And it's a shame, really, because I actually see now within the game that it's it's getting less and less. And it's not also just because of the young players uh, don't want to do it. There's actually more uh, another side to it in terms of from a sports science perspective and what they are actually hampering, I feel, within the game at times. I think Craig Levine's touched on it this week, actually. And a little bit of that element's correct, like because these kids now are getting pulled in saying, don't do any more. You've done enough. We don't want you getting injured. So don't practice anymore, which is bewildering for me because uh, I think you build up a resistance over time as well. And when you're younger, if you're doing it all the time, it's it's less and less chance that you're going to break down. So um, you know, there's something in that, I think. But I'm going, I know I'm going a little bit off track, but it was just something that I was thinking about there when, when I'm talking about Nakamura and the hours that he used to put in. And we used to have these ice baths in the, in the change room, Andrew, and like, we're talking middle of winter in Glasgow, you know, it's freezing. But Naka would be in there every day up to his neck, 
you know, no bother. Just sit there, not even flinch. You know, make sure his body was right. Be sitting in there with the fan on as well, you know, for 10 minutes. Just thinking, wow, you know, he's shriveled up when he comes out of there. That's for sure. But, um, and then you talk about Aiden McGeady. Aiden was phenomenal talent as well. In terms of skill, most skillfulest player I've ever played with. And, and the way he could take the piss out of someone, you know, it probably reminded you probably a little bit like, you know, Jimmy Johnson used to do. He could do that you know, in abundance. But he, he would also be direct and beat someone with pace. But these things that you'd see him doing training, you just think, wow, this guy's a joke. Um, and it's a real shame, actually. I, I mean, obviously, he chose to go to Moscow um, instead of going down south when he first left Celtic. And then he got his chance at Everton. And I was I really got it for him in a sense because I, I really believed he was a top four Premier League player for me. Um, and he could have done special things at the right football club. Um, and really had a successful time. He's had a great career, but I think for me, he, he could have even went higher. You know, he was that exceptionally talented. Uh, and Nakamura was no different as well. He was just at a different different age uh, when he first came to Celtic and was coming probably near the end of his career. Uh, and he chose to go to Espanyol after us. And I remember him leaving. That was a, a real gutter for, for everyone when he left. But Gordon had left and it was, he felt it was time for him to, to move on. But... Yeah, the, the, all these players, I mean, not even touched on some of the other ones like Tommy Gravison and Yuri Yarosik, who bit part players by the end when I first got there. But they were, you know, top players, played for Real Madrid. Yuri Yarosik played for top clubs in Europe and also played, you know, for, for Chelsea as well on many occasions. So uh, to play with all these players, it was it was an amazing time for me and to learn off them and the standards that these guys set day in, day out of training. That's how you became a better footballer. That's how uh, you had success because every day in the game, in, in, in the training sessions, was a time for you to learn and improve. And you had to be on it every day because or else you'd get found out. So you'd be showing a level, and that was the standard that you had to to aspire to be at. Another player you didn't didn't mention now, um, who I thought was the best keeper I've seen. For Celtic, when he came in on loan, he 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 knocked a really good keeper in in young Marshall off his perch. Arthur Burridge, was he as mad as we were told he was, or was was he just? Oh, uh, mate, he was as mad as as anyone. You know, I think Tommy Gravison could give him a good run for his money, <laughs> but in terms of being scary, I think Arthur was probably the one that I was probably more wary of and always tried to keep on side. <laughs> if he didn't like a shooting session. He would just stand there and more or less that was it. He wouldn't move because he didn't like it. So you knew, oh, oh he's, he's not happy today. You just don't want to go near him. He'd have those those flittering moments within uh, his time at Celtic. But an amazing goalie. Um, phenomenal. He just didn't like turning up for, for Monday sessions. I think <laughs> I think he liked his weekends, Andrew, to be Sunday fair. Sunday club. <laughs> yeah, there was, a, there was a few occasions when he'd come in on a Monday the goalie coach would look at him and say, I'll tell you, you've done enough. Off you go. You can go home. <laughs> and all the boys would just be looking and go, oh, for fuck's sakes, he's at it again. But when you've got someone with that talent, sometimes you've got to give them a little bit more rope uh, to get the best out of him. And, and he was certainly one of those characters where you did that, you allowed it, because there was more than one occasion where he would save your bacon. And he'd done it many a time throughout my time at, at, at the club. And, he was a great lad and a great character. You just didn't want to get him on the the wrong day. But like all good goalies, that is Andrew. They're they're a different breed, for sure. 
you know, he was a hero of the fans because he put it up the Rangers every time. And then, like, I remember <laughs> the, night we, the night we played Man United and Naka scored that amazing free kick. And, you know, Arthur saves a penalty. Like, he, he never set a foot wrong, maybe until later in his in his time at Celtic when he started to make a few mistakes. But even David Marshall, I had an interview with David Marshall, who he replaced. And he said when they came in, they were amazed at, you know, the talent he had. And what he, and that was that's goalkeepers who are competing with him for a place. And, and David Marsh is not a bad keeper himself, so it's, it's high praise. I think we forget how good of a team Gordon Strachan had. Without question, we, we, we had some, some real top, top players, but also I think Gordon, you know, working off a different budget from previous managers, you know, Martin O'Neill probably considerably, you know, in terms of it was a, it was a time where, right, we have to cut the budget now and the, the monies that we're, you know, like we're matching premiership money here, you know, from down in England at that point under Martin O'Neill, I think with some top players like, uh, you know, Sutton's, Hartson's, Larson's, you know, without question or else you don't get them. But Celtic just couldn't sustain that forever. So when it was Gordon's time, it, I think he was more or less said, right, we have to try and trim back here and build for the future. And what Gordon did was was bring in the best talents from, you know, the league of the Scottish Premiership itself. And I think he managed to do that really well. You know, you talk of the, the likes of the Mark Wilsons, Gary Caldwell's, Scott Browns, Barry Robsons, Paul Hartley, myself. And you had a couple that, you know, probably didn't have as much success as what you would have liked. But, you know, we were always trying to look to unearth some talent um, from, from the Scottish game. Um, and something have continued that down the years. Uh, but Gordon did it really, really well in it. And players that understood what it was to play for Celtic as well. I think that was always very important that you have that. And there were excellent players who gone went on to, like myself, to achieve even bigger things. But it was, yeah, it, it was a great time. And um, like you said about Arta, going back on Arta, what really sticks out, you know, thinking about it now was how quickly he was able to come and close the distance between the striker and, and himself uh, off his line for 1v1s especially. He was very difficult in those moments. It was almost like he would spook you how quickly he used to close the distance and close the angles. That was one of his biggest talents. And many a time, you know, he, he would save things that you just thought just weren't savable. Um, so you always need a great keeper in your teams to be successful. And uh, I think that's been proven over... You know, years, whether it be Celtic or other leagues, that they've always had top keepers and, and Arthur was no different. He was he was top, top notch. Now, obviously that team would break up. That, that's a team that had no problem getting out of the groups <coughs> in the Champions League. Gordon had proved how good of a manager he was because, as you say, he didn't have the same budget as Martin. Then Tony Mowbray comes in and it didn't work out for Tony. It didn't work out for you. You went down to Middlesbrough. Have you any regrets? Did you leave too early or was it time? You know, if it's for, up to me, I, I'd, you know, you'd want to play the rest of your career at Celtic, you know, like Scott's done, Scott Brown. Obviously, it's me and Scott signed at the same time. And the things that he's done there have, have truly been phenomenal. But the realism is as well, in terms of being a centre forward, you, you generally have a lifespan at, at big clubs uh, like Celtic. And if you look over the history of Celtic strikers, you're looking at probably a lifespan of three years, realistically, before they move on for different reasons because they've done well and they've gone to other clubs for, for more money or you know they've not done well and they move on 
because they're just not performing anymore. They get too old and someone else comes in to replace you because always looking for goal scorers and people to be the most successful for, for Celtic to win titles. So you're always under pressure, but I love them. I absolutely loved it. But look, if I had the, the chance or the timing again and just how everything worked out and the way my mindset, when I look back at that, I probably wouldn't have changed it 99 times out of 100 because it was with Gordon uh, who had gave me everything in terms of uh, my career and how successful I was at Celtic. And I just believed in him so much that he was the guy that would always get the best out of me. And after a sort of topsy-turvy time for the six months that I was with Tony, it was hurtful because I just felt like I didn't feel loved anymore. And all good strikers have got egos and, and want to be loved and appreciated. And it just sort of felt, even from our very first meeting, that he wasn't sure about me. It was like he didn't think I was a good player. And that really edited me for the whole time we were together. It was kind of like you were up against it. And I didn't like that now that I was having to prove myself with what I'd done in the previous two seasons at Celtic. That was a brilliant conversation with Scott McDonald. If you want to hear the full interview, rewind back to episode 10. Next up, our final guest today was John Harton, who I spoke to back in episode 6. Just just go back to the Lee Griffiths thing now. Um, that would mean a lot to Lee if he heard you speak like that because you had your off-field uh, problems, which you overcame. And uh, you never missed game time, but, and you've sorted out, obviously you had a gambling problem. And you, I know... You're an inspiration to many, many young gamblers to, to go to rehab and, and get their life back together and get, get away from the bookies. So I'd just like to commend you on that. And also on your charity work, John, which is phenomenal, the amount of money you raised through the John Hardson Foundation. Yes, well, you know, I, I had conversations with Lee when, um, when it all broke that um, he was... He needed a bit of help. And sometimes, Andrew, it's, it's not always easy to admit when you're a famous person and you're in a bit of a bubble. Um, you don't want negative headlines. You don't want people to know. You keep things in. Um, and we know the importance of talking and letting it out, um, mental health, all these things. But the one thing he did do was he, he said that he was struggling and um, you could clearly see that he needed a bit of help. And um, that's why I think that uh, I spoke to Lee and I actually offered to mentor Lee. I spoke to Brendan Rogers and Peter Lowell. And um, I had a long chat with Peter Lowell and I said to Peter, Peter will second this. I said, Peter, you know, you knew me when, you, when, when I was a player. And, uh, you know, we're not all Michael Owens, you know, we're not all Alan Shearer's, if you like. We, it, takes, it, takes a, it takes all kinds to make a team and that's why Martin was excellent. You know, some of the lads were a bit different to other people. We're all different shapes and sizes. We've all got different characters. We've all got different strengths and weaknesses. And sometimes we're not all robots and we're not all the same. Everybody's different. And because you like a bit of tomato sauce on your chips, that doesn't make you totally different from every other player. And sometimes you've just got to give somebody that little bit of leeway if he's special. In particular, Lee, because Lee is very special. He's very important to the football club. And I, I said to Peter, I said, look, Peter, I said, I can sort of talk with Lee on regular occasions and I could take him to watch games through the week and talk to him and, and just be like somebody that he could trust and he could rely on. 
But the club decided to go their own route and they've done a very good job in terms of the way that they've gone. But I'll always, I'm always there. The club know that. If anybody, you know, anybody's got an issue with gambling or whatever, you know, I'm an example that I've got myself clean and obviously I'm there to support anybody, not just from Celtic. Because nine years ago, when I was in disarray, living in Wales, and I had no money, and I, I was I was getting down, and I was struggling, you know, mentally. And when I went to GA, somebody, you know, held their hand out to me. Somebody offered me their help, and um, I'm there now to off, to offer my hand out if anybody wants any help, because that was important to me when I went that. Somebody were there, and, and and we were all the same. We were all we were all problem gamblers. Um, it's like a fellowship. It's like a trust, and 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 that's that's what I offered to do with Lee. But the club decided to, as I said, they had plans for him, and, and you know they they've done great work with him, and Lee's also responded to it as well. But um, the point I'm trying to make is Andrew, because you're footballers, people tend to think that you don't have problems and. You know, you you don't you don't deal with every other thing that other people do, deals with on a regular basis. The general public, you know, I, I was from quite a rough council estate in Swansea, and it was every man for himself growing up. You know, you had to fend for yourself, and it wasn't for the faint-hearted. And you know, a lot of the guys, a lot of my mates, are still mates that I grew up with. You know, the fact that I'm a footballer, an ex-footballer, doesn't mean all my mates are footballers. And the point I'm trying to make is, is that sometimes you know people cut you down and and speak badly of you because you make mistakes and you're this and you're that because you're put on a pedestal, you know. But they, they they tend to forget that you're just a human being and you make mistakes and you go through life and you have problems, marital problems, gambling problems, drinking problems. You go and see the Tony Adams Clinic in Forest Mayor in Southampton, Sporting Chance. It's full of young athletes with problems, with issues. And sometimes you just, you're just normal and you just need that little bit of help and you need that little bit of guidance and get, just get yourself back on track. And, and that's what you need sometimes because you're just normal. You're just normal, although you're a footballer and it's great. You've achieved your goals and you've achieved your dreams as a young boy. You know, sometimes you do mess up, but it's important then that you've got people to support you and, and that's what Celtic have done with Lee. They've supported him. And hopefully now they'll reap the benefits when he comes back with a stronger mind and uh, the great goal scorer that he is. Oh, brilliant, John. Brilliant. So well said. John, you have a great family unit around you these days. I know we're close. Uh, and, and earlier on when, when we were setting up the interview, I, the kids were in, I was chatting to them. No family holiday this year because of the coronavirus for any of us. Um, now, you're a fluent Welsh speaker. And a proud Welshman, you've played for your country over 50 times and you've also coached the team. So I just have one final question for you. Have you told your wife, Sarah, that she's going to Euro 2021 for her holidays? <laughs> well, Andrew, I had a nice contract with ITV to cover the Euros uh, this year. And uh, it'll happen now in 2021. It's all over Europe, as you know. Um, Final is at Wembley. Wales are there. Scotland still have a bit of work to do. Um, so does my team. We, we, we've still two games to get there. Ireland. Yeah, so do Ireland, of course. Changed their manager as well. 
Yeah, Stephen Kenny's in now and does. Yeah, I met Stephen a few times when I was over in um, when I was doing work over with uh, Airsport in Dublin. Stephen would come into the studio sometimes. But I wish Stephen well, obviously in his new role. I'm sure he'd get a lot of support. Damien Duff, of course, has left his role at Celtic to join him. Um, I'm sure that'd be a little bit of a loss, but it's an opportunity for someone, I suppose. But um, no, as I said, I'll enjoy the Euros now next year, uh, all over Europe. Obviously, Wales missed out on the World Cup, but you know this will uh, 2018. But they had a wonderful 2016 Euros, getting all the way to the semi-final. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to that. Ryan Giggs, you know, uh, he qualified for the first tournament that he entered into as manager. So he's done really well. A lot of debate over Ryan, but I think he's swung the crowd around now in his favour uh, because of the qualification, which is great for him on a personal note. But no, there'll be no holiday this year, Andrew, because before we know it, we'll be back into the football, you know. And I think everybody's in the same boat. And, you know, we all love the game. And as long as it's safe to do so, and, um, you know, the government give us the go-ahead, then we have to adhere to what they say and what the uh, the lockdown is and the restrictions and everything else. But once we get a go-ahead, we'll all be ready to go. And looking forward to it. John, you beat Rangers, you beat Council. You've been an inspirational guest. And I look forward to maybe doing a night or two with you on the live circuit when the venues are back up and running and the punters are allowed back in. John, thank you so much. You're welcome, Andrew. Anytime you know that, mate, you wouldn't have got to give me a shout. John Harton, our final guest today. If you want to hear John's full interview, rewind to episode six. I think he'll agree, three top strikers. This month marks 19 years since more than 90 minutes first went on sale outside Celtic Park. And during the international break, we are walking away on issue 110, which comes out next week. And we'll have our new signing, Shane Duffy, grace the front cover. I would like to thank everybody who has bought the fanzine over the years on the bus, the boat, in airports, outside Celtic Park, outside away grounds and in news agents. Special thanks to all our ground sellers who stood in all weathers selling the fanzine back in the early days. I would like to thank our sponsors and contributors for the support over the last 19 years. Thanks once again to Ronan McQuillan for producing the show. If you like what we are doing and would like to support us, just visit the website, CelticFansin.com, where you can subscribe, donate, buy, or become a member for the price of a pint. We really appreciate the support. You can download a new app, it's free, and you will then have access to all the podcasts, articles, daily news, video content, info on upcoming events, the fanzine, and our online shop at the touch of a button for your phone or tablet. All episodes of the podcast are now available on SoundCloud, so I think we have now got all the podcast platforms covered. So whatever your preferred platform is, don't forget to hit the subscribe or follow button so you never miss an episode. We've also added all the podcasts to our YouTube channel, Celtic Fanzine TV. So please subscribe to the channel. We are working on a new vodcast and we would like to get back to putting on some Celtic AM live pre-match events. But we will need 1,000 subscribers to be able to go live with YouTube before the games. So folks, if you're on the Celtic Fanzine TV YouTube channel, hit subscribe. If your business or Celtic Supporters Club like what we're doing on the podcast and would like to become a sponsor, please email us at info at CelticFanzine.com. You can also contact us through the website or message us on social media or on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Keep the comments coming in and let us know what guests you would like us to get on the show. 
or if you have a story to tell, please get in contact. We will be back on Tuesday with episode 27. Enjoy the weekend, folks. I'll be spinning a few tunes and enjoying a few social distance points upstairs in Fusion in the Fuse Box on Saturday. Any local fans around, pop in for a point after watching the Celtic v Ross County game. Hopefully we'll be celebrating three points and maybe a good Shane Duffy debut. Stay tuned, stay safe and keep the faith. Oh, 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 oh,